0: Hello, podcast listeners. I have the joy of being with Valerie Harkins today from LifeHouse in Houston. Valerie, I had the joy of listening to you give a presentation at the National Christian Housing Conference. And I really have literally been thinking about it since you said it. So I'm really excited to have this chance to chat with you about kind of your thinking specifically around counseling and the decisions that that you've kind of been experimenting with around counseling. So thank you so much for being with me and for being willing to have this conversation. We're really glad to have you.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Hopefully, this will be a good thing. Hopefully, I wasn't a troublemaker for your
0: (laughs) thoughts. No, 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 it was so good. Yeah, so do you want to just share just a bit about yourself and LifeHouse as a quick introduction?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Well, well, LifeHouse is a a Christian housing ministry for women in unintended pregnancies, Um, and so we started off, as a maternity home 30 years ago, and as you are well aware, the demographics and the needs of our society have morphed over time, and so we still um, maintain our pro-life roots and, you know, maintaining our availability to a woman who is still making her pregnancy decision in this, you know, kind of unpredictable time of her life, but what we have found are that many of the women that are choosing to carry their pregnancies to term and are homeless often fall into a category of being among the most vulnerable of society. So at Lifehouse, we've taken a, a all-in approach, a deep dive approach into figuring out what exactly does this woman, this generation right now, what does she need for the most complete healing that we could possibly partner with her in receiving? And so uh, that's a little bit about LifeHouse. We have residential and non-residential services. We have two maternity homes and one aftercare home for a woman who is in school with her child for her infant for one to two years. And then we have a a booming non-residential program right now that is just keeping me busy. Um, And that is for our alumni for an indefinite amount of time for support after they've had their child, but a concentrated period of support for two years. So I am our director of programs at LifeHouse and a licensed social worker. So I have the privilege of supporting our awesome staff that's just boots on the ground every day, living with the women and helping them to be successful here. We've had the
0: privilege of picking your brain a few times in these conversations. One is because you're just, an, you know, I know you're a reader and you love gathering information and you're like really creative at putting it together in new ways and thinking deeply. So thank you so much for being willing to kind of enter in and share some of that with us. So the thing that you said, um, I guess kind of... In my experience with the work, I'd always thought of counseling as kind of this necessity, right? The situations the moms are bringing to the table are just so deep and so hurt, you know, painful that counseling is the answer. And I I had had that approach for a long time. And you really just challenge that thinking. I would love to unpack that with you and, like, why you've maybe kind of taking a different approach toward an all-in counseling viewpoint, I guess. So can you can you walk through a little bit, maybe just share what your journey has been around that?
1: Yeah. Well, let me tell you a little bit of, if that's okay, about how we got here to this point before we talk about just such a radical idea of taking therapy out of Out of our programming here. You know, part of it, it it was a, I guess it's maybe threefold. Part was working with our pregnant woman, just making some observations, challenging kind of the way that we do things, constantly coming back to the drawing board and saying, when we're not seeing the fruit that we want to see. There could be multiple reasons for that. One is it's not time yet. There's the whole, you know, seed time harvest principle. Or maybe we, you know, there's an issue in our sowing practices. So maybe we need to look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And so sometimes I have to challenge us in that are we holding on to a method or a practice of doing it uh, because A, my opinion says it's the right way, or B, it's the way it's always been done. And that's a hard thing to let go of, but I began looking at what was what was being produced in the behaviors and in the emotional healing of the woman, and I saw that we really weren't meeting the mark in the way that I felt you know we could have and she ultimately didn't have as many opportunities as we wanted her to have and so that was part of what was going on some of it came about from professional development lots of reading and researching just constantly trying to sit in front of other people that I feel like have journeyed longer and further than I have and asking just asking questions (laughs) open-ended questions what are you doing and comparing notes about things done a lot of reading on attachment theory that's my specialty here and then the third came from my personal development I personally have journeyed through personal healing and emotional healing through just about every form of therapy you can imagine and I'm a great advocate for counseling particularly traditional counseling which is talk therapy or CBT and I have been in counseling since I was 16 and there was a period of time that came about a year or two ago Where I had really just reached the limits of therapy and I decided to cut therapy off and to pursue other forms of healing. And so I began doing things like artwork and groups and exercise and just meditation and doing weird things like just walking and noticing the trees changed colors. And there was some intentionality around what I was doing. But what I found is as in the season, as I took therapy out, I began healing bridging a gap of years at a time. So from these three avenues together, I pulled from each one and began to kind of compile a a suspicion or just a thought about maybe what, could happen or should happen in our programming regarding therapy. And then a season came pretty quickly where I realized we'd had a uh, an LPC intern who was coming to the conclusion of her internship and time with the ministry. And I just knew that this was our chance to try out a new way of programming. So I called our executive director, Meredith, and I said, "Mare, I really want to try something crazy. She said, what? And I said, I just, I really want to take counseling out. Of programming, And I, I want to see what happens. And I gave her my basis for thinking that. And oddly enough, I don't know why, but she just trusted that judgment and we decided to try this together. And so as we did, what we found is that we began seeing fruit that truly was above what we were aiming for before. We didn't even know that it was capable. Uh, We didn't know the women were capable of this level of, uh, I guess I could say even cognition or um, executive functioning, um, articulating their emotions and just kind of overall well-roundedness in this stage of their development. We knew it was possible several years down the road with consistent help. We didn't know it could happen in a matter of three months. And so when I began seeing radically different behaviors, I went, okay, now we have to dive deeper into this subject. Why in the world, when we pulled counseling out, why did our women improve so dramatically? And so that's just a little bit uh, starting from high level, kind of leading from where we've been and and kind of how we got to where we are right now.
0: So logistically, you made some kind of programmatic decisions that counseling is still available, but it's more, it's just put off for a, a long while. Can you talk about some of the kind of the practical, here's what happens? kind of level?
1: Here's here's what happens. Here's what happens. Our house parents are wildly well supported and um, as well trained as we can possibly get them to be. So the women are living in a therapeutically sound environment. Their entire everyday coming and going, they're all emotionally and therapeutically supported. Regarding counseling, what we are layering in right now are um, groups that are uh, more of the DBT, so dialectical behavioral therapy or solution-focused therapy type of groups. We're working with hopefully creating a partnership with an organization in Houston that does skills groups. Essentially, those groups focus only on learning to understand what your body is physically feeling and a strategy about how to respond to that, right? So when I feel hungry, I get something to eat. When I feel angry, I do deep breathing. And they practice those daily skills. It's not about why you get angry or where that came from or what happened in your childhood. And we layer that in, not just in those groups, but in everything we do. Every every staff member and every volunteer position uh, support, skills, or sh- solution-focused therapy. Everything is about a woman leaving us armed to the teeth with strategies to respond to circumstances in life in a different way. So just to tell you the truth, we don't even dive deep into what happened when she was a child. Now, if a woman wants counseling, she wants to really you know, talk, talk, we offer that to her after her child has turned six months old. We've done that intentionally for reasons regarding postpartum depression and wanting her to get stable. So we actually encourage her to express something that she needs to express through a form of art, whether that would be poetry, painting, singing. We have uh, rappers. We have photographers. You name it. The women are just who knew all these gifts and talents were inside of them, cooking. And so they can briefly highlight, we allow them to talk a little bit about kind of where they come from, but we more so help them to express somewhere from the depths of themselves how they're feeling about that without completely unzipping their heart and and going through all the gory details. And if a woman does really want to talk about every detail of a story, we will actually begin to teach her about the time and the place to do that and about why it's important to guard her heart and slowly unveil those details and I will tell you Mary that's a real uh, different rhythm for us but what we have found is the women have come back and told us thank you they're so grateful for those parameters because they just feel like they're bleeding and they can't make it stop and so whenever we let them know that you know that's enough for today they just take this big breath and they're relieved so practically speaking it's very simple it's just not a complex program strategy.
0: So you still have someone working with them. You I think you called it solutions based therapy. So they're still forward looking, skill based, let's you know, let's kinda of learn some therapeutics, uh, type of things, but not the past looking. I, I remember you've summing it up that yet. way, you know, everything's forward looking until they're really stable and then we might start to explore past looking. That's exactly it. You know,
1: Mary, I think what the difference is is instead of us saying we're going to hire our counselor and the counselor is going to do the therapy, right? They're going to be the person. You're going to go in this room and you're going to talk and that's where healing is going to happen. We've transitioned from that mindset to everyone on the team is doing solution-based therapy or solution-focused therapy. Every role is playing a critical part in teaching coping skills and, sh- and new, we call them life strategies for going forward. So it's more like she's living in this immersed environment that's all about empowerment and it's almost like she doesn't even realize it's happening because it's just so it's just the culture of the campus now
0: I remember too Another thing you mentioned in the presentation was this idea that women were receiving in the old method they were receiving therapy but they didn't have the strategy they didn't have new strategies to deal with all of that so it actually was causing a lot of chaos in the house rather than healing can you talk more about that kind of dynamic I
1: can. You know, this is really the subject that began to challenge me the most and really spur me deep into, you know, research and and prayer. What I would find is that the women would go to counseling and I found this over the course of several years that they would do fine in the counseling. And as far as the counselor was aware, the counselor, the woman left and she was okay. She talked about a difficult subject. The counselor helped her to kind of Gather herself back together. She was stable when she left the counseling appointment. And then over the course of the next week, before the next appointment happened, we saw seemingly unrelated behavioral challenges or issues come up, whether that would be depression, um, unrelenting anxiety, uh, moodiness, uh, emotional roller coaster, shutting down, talking manically. Or struggling now, she can't stop telling stories about now that she's opened it up. She's got to talk about it all the time. Lying, science, contacting old boyfriends, contacting old friends, just odd behavior. And what we found is that the women often weren't even aware themselves sometimes what was happening to even be able to articulate what they were feeling and what was causing it. But what was happening is that they were going into counseling and they were talking about things that they have never talked about or have not talked about in detail. And they could gather themselves together enough right in that moment because they have enough life strategies to know how to protect, how to harden their heart or protect their heart. And that's what they call being okay, meaning I'm not crying, so I'm okay. But what they did not know how to do was how to get their mind to stop thinking about what they'd spoken about in that counseling appointment. So when they went to bed and when they got up, they found themselves thinking about it. They found themselves dreaming about it. We found that some would sleep for 12 and 16 hours at a time, and some would struggled with insomnia afterwards. And to tell you the truth, it took me far too long to catch on to this pattern. And what I found is that almost immediately, Mary, when we took counseling, even though it was by a Christian, by a professional, top-notch counseling, when we took that out of this program, our women's behavior just leveled out in a way that I didn't know was possible. We're talking, I still haven't had a discharge. We still haven't had a fight. Coming back, they're apologizing, ready to participate in family meetings, focused on their chores, learning how to cook, not going back to boyfriends as often as before. It still happens sometimes. And we still haven't had a psychiatric episode. I know that we're vulnerable for that to happen, but it hasn't happened. Uh, we've had women become, get this, uh, medically compliant, meaning that was something that was hard for us. Now they see like, oh, they're willing to get on some medication if their doctor recommends it and, and stay on it. And we're not even fighting with them about it. Uh, whereas before, that was a, just a, a huge point of contention uh, in the ministry.
0: So you, you mentioned that you train up your staff to be, I think you use this term, therapeutically sound environment. So and that's, that's an idea that I've been exploring in my own thinking too is like just that you're creating environments of healing, right? So that even mm-hmm. if, you know, even if you're not a therapist, a social worker, whatever, you can, homes can create these environments of healing. Can you talk more about what that looks like at LifeHouse and how that, you know, when you use that phrase, what are you talking about? specifically yes
1: yes well it's a, it's a couple fold one um, we have done some basic things such as um, you know we host a simulcast every year uh, of a conference through the empowered to connect conference that is a wonderful resource and uh, very affordable for most organizations you pay one time as many people as you need can attend in your own. You know, office space or wherever it is you want to screen it. We do that every year, and it's mandatory. The entire staff goes, no matter how many times they've gone in the past, from our executive director and board members down to our volunteers, I mean, just across the board. Everyone gets sharpened once a year in trust-based relational intervention, and this is our attachment theory work. But I will tell you, that's not enough. It's kind of like a fire hose of information, especially if it's the first time you've heard it. And then actually trying to remember all of that to implement it in daily life is quite a tough task. Um, On top of that, each of our our house parents read um, a book called The Connected Child. That is another book that talks about practical strategies of how to recognize what's going on in a child and and other ways to respond. Uh, And that really helps because it's very congruent for our women. But I'll tell you again... That's not enough because, again, trying to remember what's in that book and then realistically apply it in the moment when this circumstance is is happening, it's kind of swirling around you in the home. It's pretty difficult. So one thing that I have found is that for this subject, the influence of the training and the culture and the acceptance of it has to come from the top down. So our board, our executive director and myself, we just completely bleed Uh, For this example, TBRI, but whatever it is we believe that is therapeutically sound, meaning connection uh, before correction, meaning uh, peace, we don't want busyness, we want eye contact, whatever it is, we respond to every staff conversation, every staff meeting, everything we talk about, every event we plan, newsletter we write. We make a point to be sure that that influence and that culture is just kind of spewing out of us. And what I have found, particularly with uh, we have weekly team meetings for all of our program staff once a week for about three hours, is that that is the time that I'm basically training our staff once a week. And so I'm responding to every circumstance that they're bringing up that's happening I'm responding to that and coaching them through what would be the most therapeutic response. What can we do in her environment to make this emotionally healing and then bringing them back? What did we learn in that conference? What did we learn in these books? What did we learn from this organization? What did we learn from our past experience Uh, and really coaching them through it? So what ends up happening is that we are training nearly every day without even realize, without realizing that we're training. So it's not really like a, one-time conference as much as this is an effort that I probably spend easily 90% of my resources and efforts on as a director is just supporting and training and informing programming staff so that what happens is that when some circumstance pops up in the home and I'm not around, they just kind of secondhand without even realizing it, just organically respond in this healing manner and this therapeutic response. And they forget that they're even doing it. It's just kind of what they know to do. And that, I have found, has been the least stressful way for a layperson to essentially serve as a, quote-unquote, therapist to our residents.
0: So, its I mean, I can see Holmes asking, well, what is, it, what is it that you're doing? I mean, you know, what is it that happens in the home that is different? You know, they all, everyone kind of wants to know practically how does this play out? practically in terms of how you structure the home could you give us a few examples of maybe what that looks like
1: so we do uh redos i'll tell you right now mary the, the big one that i get asked quite a bit is, is we don't we really don't have consequences. Every great now and then um, will have a consequence and it's really nothing even big. And we don't even call it a consequence anymore. We really don't even have a word for it because that's how far removed consequences are from the programming. So in lieu of that, one of them would be a redo. So whenever a woman comes in, I'll tell you an example today, practically, I walked in and we, uh, One of our house moms is experiencing a family emergency, and so I needed to call a quick house meeting to speak with her resident. And whenever I walked in, one of the residents had caught wind ahead of time of what I was going to say, and she was already letting me know that she disagreed and didn't want to do it. She said, I'm, I'm never going to do it. There's no way I'm ever going to, to do this. And so that was a great example where I walked in and I said, whoa, who spilled the beans? How do you even know what I'm going to say? And we got him laughing and just responded with playfulness. And I said, okay, hold on here. I tell you what, I need to tell you something really important and we really need your support on this. Would you let me talk to you? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, I tell you what, how about you let me talk to you. And then whenever I'm done, I want you to tell me what you have to say. Um, And you just try that again in a little bit of a different way. And sometimes we'll say with respect or whatever. And so I told her what, what I needed to announce in the house meeting. And at the end, she she just said, "Miss Valerie, I really, you know, I really don't want to do that. And I said, I totally get that. And I said, you know, and I offered this compromise. Well, how about we do it? We do it this way. But, you know, our house mom, Ms. Cantina, she, she really needs our help during this time. She said, I know. You know what? I'll do it. And she was happy. And she turned out to be our greatest volunteer. Now, in that moment, it could have been very easy for me to be kind of wrapped up in my ego uh, about how she was speaking to me because it was pretty disrespectful. Um, But the important thing to me in that moment is that she got to practice a new strategy. When something happens in life that I don't like, when a person in authority tells me I have to do something I don't like, she got to practice, I'm going to say it in this way with respect. I'm going to ask for a compromise. So in that moment, that's the goal. I mean, just teaching new strategies, that's everything for us. You know, another one is that our emphasis is not entirely on productivity. Actually, it's not on productivity at all. Productivity just kind of naturally happens on accident. But instead, we are focusing on sharpening her, her skills in whichever way she needs. Usually, that's executive functioning. So we focus much on maintaining our boundaries and our standards in the home and then teaching her when she doesn't meet that mark, Let's say we have chores that need to be done by a certain time in the day. The point of getting the chores done isn't for you to be productive, and it's not for me to judge you. The point of you getting your chores done is to practice executive functioning and knowing how to complete the task. So when she doesn't get her chores done on time or she didn't do them the right way, we intentionally dive in to figure out what that is. Is she getting overwhelmed with her morning routine? Is she um, just not wanting to do them? properly because she's tired? Did anyone ever teach her the right way to do her chores in the from the beginning? Uh, whatever that is. And so we do a lot of what we call shoulder-to-shoulder activities. Uh, we really want to dive in. What was the breakdown? How can we help her improve this skill? Almost always, this is executive functioning, Mary. It's just very common for us.
0: So I think I hear this when I talk to Holmes about these ideas, there's a little bit of a fear that the moms will take advantage somehow, right? That Can you just kind of speak to that fear that, you know, somehow the moms are going to trample over the staff or they're going to take advantage and I don't know. Can you speak into that dynamic of th- thinking? Yeah, I can. I think sometimes I'll tell you I'm
1: just not a helpful person sometimes when, when that question is asked. Because sometimes people do bring this question to me, and I think there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is I'm trying to find the tactful way to say organically in my personality, Um, it's not really likely that anyone would take over the home, only because I I tend to be quite the personality in the home. Um, But what I have found (laughs) is confidence is essential. And I train our house moms on that, our executive director trains me on that, all of us. We have to be confident that if we are put in the position that we're in, that God's word was real when he said he puts every person in authority in that in that place of authority. And so that doesn't mean that we are higher than anyone, but it does mean we have a confidence. He gave us ownership over that little domain of whatever that is. And so much of what I aim to do is to build our house moms up with the confidence and the reason for that multidimensional. however the big one is our women can tell just how dogs can smell fear our women can totally sense when there is an insecure person in authority and they cannot get comfortable their cortisol levels biologically cannot go down when they sense that the person at the steering wheel of the family and at the home Uh, does not have secure boundaries cannot handle conflict or emergencies and just overall is not secure in their position and so they'll test that because they need to know if they can trust you can I trust you to really be in charge and I'll let go of my survival strategies and my control and, and really listen to you and let you be in charge so what I find is when we walk in the door we just we have to walk in with confidence when we speak to them You know, when we are able to engage playfully instead of offended with them because we're so confident, see, no matter what that resident would have said today, it was always going to end with her doing what needed to be done. I don't have to be abrasive and defiant, and she is never going to take over the house. And I think oftentimes with our residents, with our, I mean, our, uh, our respite, with our volunteers, um. It just kind of comes down to, do we really believe we belong here? Because if we do believe that, we don't have to be forceful and fearful that someone else is going to take over our position. Sometimes I tell the joke in early periods of training or the example. I say, you know, here's the thing. When you have a toddler and a toddler throws an tantrum, no matter how long they scream or how long they scream, you're never going to stop being the mom. There's absolutely nothing they can ever, ever do to change the fact that you are in the position that you're in. You're the parent they're the child, no matter what, right? So that's just it at the end of the day. And and so I would say no matter what the resident is doing in their behavior, you're the house parent and they're the resident. And when they know that you're comfortable in your own skin, they will settle into their skin.
0: Yeah. So I'm just trying to think, like – you know, I like to think about things really abstractly. So in my head, I'm like, okay, say a program really, they like this approach, right? They like, you know, they, they hear that, they hear the truth kind of ringing in that. The answer is probably not the first thing is to fire the counselor, right? The answer is there's kind of a bigger picture to like how to approach and think differently and change change the organizational culture to be more um, mindful about kind of these, these different therapeutic dimensions before you fire the counselor. I don't know. Can you? I don't know if you could unpack kind of at that level. Say, someone hears the truth in what you're saying. Like what? How do they begin to kind of enter into that that approach?
1: You know, I thought the same thing. Um, you know, if I had had a counselor, if I'd kept that counselor on staff, um, I was very close to switching to solution based therapy meaning I would have uh, had the counselor doing um, just about everything being skills groups, mindfulness, deep breathing, um, strategies when you're angry. Uh, And we, the counselor, what I intended is for the counselor to be practicing that with them throughout the week or for that month. We're focusing on noticing when I'm anxious and breathing, right? That's, that would be the thing. So, If I had a professional, that would be the direction or the direction I intended to steer her. Now, I will tell you, I don't currently, Meredith and I, we don't really have an intention of rehiring a counselor um, on staff. Um, The other thing that I would say is really important if an organization wants to consider this route would be just evaluating where in their daily Rhythms of the client, can you help her to find limits on to kind of stop unveiling so many details of her past? And then, where can we layer in opportunities to notice who she is? Or even, oh my goodness, Mary, I was so convicted. We were not helping her dream for the future. She had no ability to dream. She was so wrapped up in the past that she couldn't even imagine who she could be in the future. So, um, ways that you might be able to do that would be thinking about intentional dinner conversations, um, uh, talking, bringing in uh, the arts. Uh, most of our volunteer programming right now, for that impacts our women, is moving almost exclusively towards the arts. I only have a couple of lecture-based classes. One is a Bible study that I'm pretty close to bringing into making it an art-based class um, and the other is a becoming a mom class and that one i don't think i can make into an art class everything else is all about some type of creative expression that was another very practical way that we kind of got a leg or a step forward in um going forward and focusing on the future so versus let me make sure i understand her so you back. you
0: kind of rethought the education-based, the, education the curriculum-based programs and went to more creative expression kind of based programs. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? yes Wow. Exactly okay. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah. we do, we have painting class, poetry uh, courses. These are all hands-on. We've done songwriting, photography, where they're in the pictures, take the pictures. Let me think. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Sketching. So we have, we have sketching right now cooking classes they really love the cooking classes
0: i mean is there conversation around those things about what they mean or that type of thing or is just an opportunity yep. to express yeah, themselves no we do we talk for, about it intentionally
1: we talk about how you know people quote unquote eat their feelings all the time <laughs> and so yes. food has held significance in many cultures and so there are different occasions where you prepare different kinds of different kinds of meals and we talk about what do you think you would serve for a funeral? What do you think you would serve for a celebration? What do you, okay, whenever this happens in your life, what kind of meal would that, and they just kind of, we try to gear them towards being inspired to create something, whatever that is. Um, I know right now we have more desserts than I know what to do with sitting around the house. (laughs) Um, And they do, they go towards instead of their default being eating food, we have a handful of women that their default is cooking food. Which is in Eden, of course. Um, Another (laughs) is we found out we have a couple of songwriters and a few singers, which was a fun match in our home. We've had several people that we learned can draw, I mean, just amazingly well. Um, Some that like to bead and make jewelry. And each of these things we are talking about what's going on, right? Talking about expressing something. So in the song, we're saying, you know, did you know that you can write a song that expresses how you feel without telling a story about what happened? And um, we talk about kind of the mystery of those songs, some of those famous songs. The other, and art, we did classical jazz. What do you think this instrument, what do you think the artist wanted you to feel when they played this instrument? And um, that was a surprising success for us. And, and on and on. Those we're really getting into this and um, are, are really noticing positive results from it.
0: And is this all kind of your own creativity as you as you kind of digest this culture and think and train people? Are these are these uh, is this something that you've learned from other people or is this your own creativity kind of springing forth?
1: So for that one, I would say that one would be something that i, I just made up i just thought, made up i, I made it say, up I <laughs> say some awesome person you know <laughs> helped me learn i have a very artistic <laughs> boss who's very supportive so i knew when i started thinking it up that i could get an easy yes and she was like i think that's great and i was like i think it's gonna work <laughs> <And> <laughs> <did>.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: i say often that um I, the, I don't know more than other people. Um, I'm not certainly smarter than anyone else, but I do experiment a lot more <laughs> than I find many of my peers do. I'm quick to try something. Uh, and we have learned that we just can't be afraid of failure. And so many of our ideas fail. And then we have a few that are just successful that we hold on to, like the art class being one.
0: I don't know if you could touch on what... so. Um, so my studies are in the human person, right, and kind of ideas of the human person. So I'm, in my own thinking, I'm trying to make sense of like, what is your belief about the human person that you would choose to um, structure your program this way? Um, and uh, there's something about the way that healing takes place in people, you know, that it's more organic, that it's more relational, that it's more over time, that it's, you know, something. I don't know if I, I'm kind of making those things up, but could could you get your head around what what's at the heart of the philosophy, I guess, about healing that would would allow you to kind of approach it this way? That's a really hard question off the top of your head. I'm so no, sorry. I was, thinking, I
1: was just thinking that, you no, know, because there is the one answering for me as an individual and then answering for the organization. You know, those yeah. are yeah, different, sure. different answers. Yeah. Um, I would say at LifeHouse, one thing that we – really hold near and dear to healing for the human person. And for this, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to kind of zone in on orphans right now because we just okay. are just committed to passionately loving the orphan. And with that, we have found that um, attachment was really at the core of everything. And we have found that in the core of the, of the family unit intimacy and connection is pivotal to every point of our physiological and emotional development and is fascinating throughout our whole life our whole how healthy you are how likely you are to die young your brain developing your fingers developing your your growth hormone being emitted, your everything is really impacted by the family unit. And so we really have a high regard for the Lord's original design for the family unit. And so I would say as an organization, whenever we are looking at the the person as a whole, right, and just their humanity, we can see that there ha- we have to come back to intimacy. We have to come back connection and attachment or it's all new. I mean, it's, not, it's never going to happen. And what we have found is that when you have that, healing begins to take off like lightning, like a, like a rocket. It's just so speedy. It's a matter of getting it to happen. <laughs> it's the catch. As an individual, I have to think to think more about my, about my answer. That's such a great question. I'm going to get back to you. Unfortunately, I won't be on. All right. Sounds good. I love the idea of the, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Attachment (laughs) intimacy. I definitely heard, you know, my, my spirit resonated with that so deeply. So yeah, that's great insight. And I'd love to hear your own take on it as well. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm
1: big on destiny. I'm thinking, you know, really for me, much of what I'm looking at all the time is what was the Lord's original um, plan for our identity and our destiny. I just really feel like most everything falls into place whenever we determine what it is he's designed us for, not what it is, but who, (laughs) who we are, who he's designed us to be. And then we, we just kind of rest in that and we take on that identity. It just seems like everything else in life regarding healing falls right into place.
0: Yeah, no, that's beautiful too. Yeah. Spectacular. Well, Valerie, I know you and I are going to continue this kind of conversation um, at the Heartbeat Conference in April, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we have some work to do to, to give that structure and whatever, but this is the, the kind of conversation we're hoping to enter into, so a little plug there if anyone would like to be a part of that conversation. We are, we are planning for that. Is there anything I should have asked that I didn't that was an idea that sparked into your head and I didn't ask? You know, I don't. So I think at the
1: end there, I was just talking about. I, I it just got me thinking about organizations that really might want to switch from looking at who she's been into who she's become, and it, it really it really got me thinking about how culture is really um, really at the core of it all when the beliefs of the staff transition. I, I really think how, it, how the ministry is implemented changes with that. So I would probably say it's probably about unity in the staff and then this core worldview shift or mindset shift that everyone is in kind of unity together. And then I just think everyone starts doing
0: it and, and, and yeah. what's
1: right for that organization comes out to play.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I definitely hear that too, and how we think about the clients too, right? There's something there's something different about how we think about the the residents in this model. I think maybe not entirely, but. Um, there's something intrinsic to who they are that we're calling out rather than trying to manage their behavior, right? That's and that's that is a know, great, that's kind of exciting. I didn't,
1: I didn't think about that, but yes, that's part of what's relieved so much of our stress is we have moved away from managing behaviors and into just really loving people. Yeah, and yeah. who they are, figuring out who they are. It's such a mystery sometimes.
0: Well, we're very grateful that the Lord gave you the gifting in your own life to do this work and to be able to speak to others about it. So it is definitely a gift to our community. So thank you for taking the time to be with me today and talk it through a bit. Look forward to learning more from you along the way. Well, thanks so much. I learn from you every
1: time I see you. So I'm looking forward to the Heartbeat Conference coming up. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Alrighty, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org podcast. Thanks for tuning in.